Mark chapter number four is where we're going to be at. So as I said there just a moment ago, we've been in a series called Refocus, where we're trying to strip away all the pretense and all the things that get in our way. And we want a clearer view of Jesus by examining his words and his actions in the gospel accounts. And last week, what we looked at is we looked at several parables that Jesus was telling to the, the people there, to the multitudes. And he was telling these parables. They were uh, what's often referred to as kingdom parables. He was telling these parables of the kingdom. And from those that we learned that his kingdom, that Christianity, if you will, that it would be uh, within Christianity, there would be counterfeit Christians. There would be false teachers. There would be bad doctrine. But... God's going to sort it all out in the end. That's his job. And we are going to continue to exist, and we shouldn't be uh, surprised whenever uh, there are folks who claim to be Christian who are not following Christ and that are teaching contrary to Christ. Whenever there are people who claim to be preachers or prophets or whatever that are not walking according to the word of God, because Jesus told us ahead of time that these things were going to happen. They were going to be a part of this time, this era in which we live, but to take heart because God is in control and God knows what he's doing. It's not a threat to him. It's not a threat to his plan, but instead in the end, he is going to sort it out. And so until then, we need to focus on faithfulness, we need to focus on fruitfulness, and we need to subject all things to the truth of God's Word. So in spite of there being false Christians, in spite of there being uh, false teachers and bad doctrine, we can be rooted and grounded on God's Word. We can subject all things to Scripture, and we can uh, stand strong and not be discouraged and not be deceived by any of these things, by the counterfeit Christians or the false doctrine, or by the false teachers. And so today what we're going to see is Jesus and his apostles are going to send the crowds away, and they are going to set out for new territory. They're going to go to a new place, and they are expecting a time of rest, and they think that the teaching time is over. The parables has ended. Jesus has wrapped it up. He sent the multitudes away. And so the time of teaching is over, but he's still got some lessons for the disciples to learn. And so he's going to teach them a little bit about weathering the storms. So let's look at Mark chapter number four, verse number 35. Mark four, verse 35. It says, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was, into the ship. And there were also with him other little ships. And there arose a great storm of wind, and the waves beat into the ship, so that it was now full. And he was in the hinder part of the ship, asleep on a pillow. And they awake him and say unto him, Master, carest thou not that we perish? And he arose and rebuked the wind and said unto the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And he said unto them, Why are ye so fearful? How is it that ye have no faith? And they feared exceedingly, and said one to another, What manner of man is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. 
Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for the time here in your house. We thank you, Lord, for the, the songs, the testimonies. We thank you for your word. And Lord, we just pray that you would meet with us here today. I just pray that your Holy Spirit would stir the hearts of your people, that it would draw them closer to you, Lord, that, that your words would ring true in their ears, that it would uh, sink down into their hearts, that it would find fertile soil by which it can grow and it can produce fruit. I just pray that you would be with them and encourage them throughout this week. Help them to stand strong. Help them to look to you and meditate on you and on your word and on your goodness. And Lord, if there's anyone here that don't know you as their Savior, I pray that today would be the day that they would uh, quit trusting in self or religion or whatever they're trusting in, and they would put their faith and trust in you alone and your shed blood on Calvary for the remission of their sins. And Lord, I just pray if there's one struggling here today as a Christian, that they would get the strength that they need. And I just ask you today, Lord, that you would help me as I preach, fill me with your spirit, guide my words, and help me to say that which is needful, true, and accurate. Lord, we do thank you so much for all that you do and all you're going to do. In Jesus' name I pray, and amen. So as we see this passage, Jesus and his disciples have had a long day. You notice the very first part of verse number 35, the same day. The same day. The same day as what? The same day as Jesus was teaching the multitudes. The same day as he was giving out all of these kingdom parables. The same day that he had been flocked by these crowds. He had done uh, miracles. He had done so much already. And the disciples were his right-hand men. They were going and tending to the crowds and seeing to the needs. And they were being thronged as well. And so at the end of this day, Jesus says, Let's send the crowds away and get into a boat and go to the other side. I can imagine the disciples were relieved and they said, finally, some rest. Finally, we take a little holiday. Finally, we get away for just a little bit of time. And they probably were a little bit excited about this because many of them were familiar with boating. They'd grown up around the sea and different things. And so they were going to get on a boat. They were going to go across. And it tells us a little bit about Jesus as well. It tells us about his humanity here because Jesus was tired. We often forget that. We look at Jesus, there were times that he was tired, times that he was hungry. There were times that are recorded that he wept and that he can relate to the circumstances, the situations that we go through. I figure that Jesus probably spent most of his ministry tired. Can y'all relate to just the constant, continual tiredness? Imagine what it would be like if you had to walk everywhere you went, that every person you came in contact with wanted something from you. Every time you settled down, crowds came to you, and you were constantly ministering from daylight to dark. That you didn't have a continual, consistent place to lay your head. Jesus says the foxes have holes and the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. So even every day he was uh, finding a new place to sleep. He was finding a new place to stay. He didn't have any certainty, any consistency. The only consistency he had was that he was always going to be busy. Right. Jesus was tired. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and so they got on the boat and Jesus got a pillow and he laid down and he went to sleep. And he must have... This, I'm, I'm seeing a, tr a trend in our services today. But anyway, <laughs> don't you all break out your pillows. But, um, <laughs> but anyway, so Jesus took his pillow out. He laid down. He went to sleep. And the disciples were rowing along. Maybe they had a sail up. I don't know what kind of boat they were in. 
And they were expecting a peaceful journey. Jesus could nap. They would find maybe a wilderness area somewhere that they could escape from the crowds and they could have some time of solitude to recharge. But as Jesus was sleeping, it says that there was a storm that rose up and it was a storm that seemed to be more than what they had ever experienced. And they tried their hardest to overcome this storm. They tried their best to go without waking Jesus, but finally in desperation, they woke Jesus up. Immediately, he calmed the storm. He rebuked the wind. He told the waves to be at peace. And the disciples just sat there with their mouths agape. Right? And so he calmed the storm, proving that while he was robed in flesh, though he was tired as a man, he was still fully God. He was still fully in control. And that's one of those things that's hard for us to uh, understand, to wrap our minds around, that while Jesus was on this earth, he was fully man, he was fully God, and there was no contradiction, there was no problem with that. It's just hard for us to comprehend. Right. And so I love watching the disciples going through things because they're very relatable. Mm -hmm. I see them going through things and I can see myself in them. I said I've often identified with Peter. And maybe not so much now as I used to be, but Peter was always the one who was running in and sticking his, his foot in his mouth. He was always the one that was getting himself in trouble and talking before he thought. And I used to really be that way, but uh, pastoring has made a difference. I have to be thinking before I speak. But anyway, I like how relatable they are. And uh, I think if we're honest with ourselves, we can see ourselves in the disciples. And I'm thankful that God recorded it in his word that way, that he didn't get the super Christians. He didn't get the elite. He didn't find people who were polished and did everything right and never made mistakes. No, he had Peter. He had Thomas out there doubting, right? He had, well, Judas is no longer here. Not a good example. <laughs> we don't want any Judases, okay? <laughs> Maybe, he's, maybe he serves as a warning, I don't know. But I like how relatable it is because we can look at the apostles and we can say they were the ones who were the foundation. They were the ones that God chose as his messengers. They were the ones who were speaking on his behalf and really got things rolling and were going and spreading the gospel to the whole world. And still they were humans. They were people just like you and me. And so we can relate to all of these things. And so today I want to put ourselves in their shoes. I want to learn from them as they are learning to weather the storm. And the first thing I want to bring out of this passage for us today is that they were directed by the Savior. They were directed by the Savior. Whose idea was it to get on the boat? Jesus. It was Jesus. They weren't just out there going about it their own thing. And Peter says, hey, I'd really like to go on a boat. I've been on land too long and I'm a fisherman, you know. I think I want to go out on a boat for a while. It wasn't his leading. It wasn't Peter that decided to go. Jesus says, we're going to get on a boat. We're going to go to the other side. Do you think that Jesus didn't know what was going to happen? Do you think that Jesus was in the dark about the thing that there was going to be a storm that rose up? Do you think that Jesus was expecting a smooth trip across and they were going to, he had a different expectation than the disciples did. In their mind, we're going to get on the boat. Jesus is going to sleep. We're going to ferry him across the water. We're going to unload on the other side. We're going to have a little camping trip out there. And we're going to refresh. Yeah. That was their plan. 
But Jesus knew when he said, let's get on a boat, he knew the storm was coming. He knew how the disciples were going to respond to the storm. He knew before they ever got on the boat that they were going to wake him in a panic and in fear and that they were going to accuse him of not caring. He knew before they got on the boat that this was going to happen. But Jesus was directing their steps right into the storm because he knew that this was going to be beneficial for them. Even as we saw Peter in the first service, whenever we saw that he was in the prison and he was tied between the soldiers, I intentionally didn't reference this because I knew I was going to be preaching on it, okay? But as he was chained between the soldiers, do you not think that maybe the storm went through his mind? And so Jesus was building a foundation. He was strengthening their faith. He was showing them that they can go into the storms by his leading, and he would bring them through it. And so he was directing them into the storm. They needed the storm. Storms will stretch. They will teach. They will grow us, right? Because if we never go through struggles, if we never go through opposition, if our faith is never tested, it can't be trusted. And so many have the false assumption that if Jesus is in your boat, it's smooth sailing. Many think if you're following Jesus, everything is just going to fall into place. And that is really a biblically ignorant mindset. Because very rarely does God just allow those who are serving him and following him to stay in, in the uh, unstirred waters, to stagnate in nothingness, but instead he wants to stretch them, he wants to grow them, he wants to draw them to him. Because whenever there is no opposition, whenever there is no struggle, we drift away from him. We see that all the way through the Old Testament, that whenever the Jews prospered, whenever things were going good for Israel, they forgot God. Right? They started leaning to their own devices. They said, hey, we did this ourselves. We're able to maintain, we're able to continue. Look at how good we're doing and not realizing that they have nothing if it's not for God. Yeah. And so, though we want everything to be smooth, though we want everything to fall in place, in reality, Jesus is doing a work, for, work in us. He is the potter. We are the clay. If you ever watch a potter, if you ever pay attention to how they mold the clay, it takes pressure to shape and to conform and to mold. That lump of clay is never going to be anything of use unless the potter gets his hand in there, begins to apply pressure in the right places to bring about something of beauty and of use. And that's what God is doing in our lives. And so he leads us into the storm. He is planning these things for us. He is directing our steps if we desire his will and we desire his plan, he will direct our steps and oftentimes he will direct us into the storm. As a good shepherd, he knows sometimes it's best to travel through the valley of the shadow of death. Mm -hmm. Sometimes he knows that it's good for us to have a table prepared for us in the presence of our enemies. You ever wonder about some of these passages that seem to be, God, why are you leading me into difficulty? Because the good shepherd knows what's best for us. He can protect us. He can provide for us. He can see us through uh, and make us through the storm and be stronger and wiser on the other side. And that is the thing that he always factors in. He says, it doesn't matter what they go through as long as I am with them. Right? The second thing that we see in this passage, though, 
is the disciples' confidence. We see the disciples' confidence. Who was it that was with Jesus? You start looking through the 12 disciples, and you find that there's Peter and John and James and Andrew. What was their occupation? Where were they from? They were fishermen. This was their backyard. This is where they grew up at. This is where they were comfortable. They were just as comfortable on the sea as they were on land. They knew all of its quirks. They knew all of its currents. They knew all about this. And so I can imagine, since they grew up around this, since they had worked all this, they said, we've got this under control. I can imagine Peter strutting out there a little bit cocky maybe, saying, Jesus, you know all about preaching and doing miracles, but this is my area of expertise. I know what I'm doing here, right? Jesus, you just take this pillow. You go back there and lay down on the back of the boat. You go take a nap. We've got this under control. We'll take care of you. We'll make sure you see it. You get across the other side because we know what we're doing. This is our area of expertise. You notice how often that Peter has these thoughts and these ideas kind of come back to bite him, kind of shove down his throat maybe? And maybe I'm reading too much into this, but can't you see this going on? Mm -hmm. And so they are looking at it and they're saying, finally, we get to show Jesus what we can do. Finally, we get to be the ones who are in charge. We get to be the ones that are in control. We get to be the ones to really put on a show for Jesus because this is our thing. And so they set out on the journey, but they encounter a storm like they have never seen before. And so they've set out to prove themselves. They're going to, as I said, show Jesus what they can do. And with that pressure, they have to perform for Jesus, to impress Jesus, to take care of Jesus. I think it pushed them to struggle and to flounder a little bit longer on their own than what was necessary. And so out of their pride, they continued to try to do it themselves. And I think as Christians, if we're seeking God's will and we are desiring for him to direct our steps, there's still the flesh that gives us problems. We might be going along well, but just because we are following God and we're serving God, doesn't mean that we're not going to still struggle with this flesh. Because as humans, we all too often have confidence in our flesh. Maybe this is the result of Adam and Eve in the garden long ago whenever they said, okay, we're going to do things our way. We're going to become as gods, knowing good and evil, right? And there's kind of that leftover, that pride, that arrogance that was passed down throughout the generations of we're going to do what we want to do. We're going to show that we know what we're doing. We're going to be the ones that are in charge. And so they were going to do things their own way. And we do the same thing as what they do. And so storms come into our lives and we scheme and we plot and we improvise. We try to get it all figured out and we are rowing, we are toiling, we're trying to navigate. Our sails are becoming ragged. We're taking on water and we feel like we are about to sink and we're going to drown. And Jesus is there with us all along. He says he'll never leave us or forsake us. He's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. And so there is not a prayer that we pray that he doesn't hear, but there's many prayers that we should pray that he would hear that we never pray. All 
Anyone guilty of that besides me? And so he invites us to cast all of our cares on him, but we wait until we have expended everything that we have, until we have came to the end of our rope, and then when all else fails, then we come to him, when he was there all along. He was willing to help us bear those burdens. He was willing to carry us through the storms. He was willing to help direct our steps and to calm our fears and reassure us along the way, but we fail to call upon him. I figure that Jesus stayed asleep just because of their confidence. Because he was God, right? He was there. He was willing to act. I mean, if he would have been awake, he could have said, hey, guys, I've got a plan for this. You're not going to die. You're here on the boat with me. We're going to be fine. And he could have just comforted them and reassured them right through that storm. They never called on him. And he said, you don't call on me? Fine, then. You can do it yourself. And he stayed asleep. And they could have had the help sooner, but they waited, or he waited, until they acknowledged their need for him. And so until we come to the end of ourselves, until we are willing to set our pride aside and acknowledge our need for God, a lot of times we don't get the help that we need. It's that way with salvation, isn't it? Yes. As long as you're trying to save yourself, as long as you're trying to be good enough, work, work your way into heaven, do enough religious deeds, you're not going to be saved. Salvation comes whenever we realize we can't save ourselves and that we need someone to save us and we turn and we trust him alone for the forgiveness of our sins and the salvation of our souls. As long as we're doing it ourselves and toiling and rowing in the storm, we are going to fail. He just desires us to pull alongside of him and allow him to be the captain of the ship, not the cargo. So the third thing that we find here, we saw the direction of the Savior. We saw the, uh, what did I say? Forget my own points. Anybody else with me? There we go. We saw the direction of the Savior. We saw the disciples' confidence. And now we see the deceitfulness of fear. The deceitfulness of fear. This storm seemed to be above and beyond what even experienced fishermen were able to deal with. They had been out in many storms before. They thought they could handle anything that was thrown at them. But I figure that this was an attack from Satan. Doesn't the Bible say that Satan is the prince and the power of the air? And whenever Jesus stepped out there, he he rebuked the winds. And I believe that Satan was causing this storm, this wind, this, this air to be whipped up around them, to work the waves into a frenzy, to try to capsize the ship or to fill the ship, because Satan, for some reason, he is dumb enough to think that he's able to outdo God. He thinks he's able to defeat God. And we see that time after time, him trying his best to overcome, him trying to uh, prevent Jesus from going to the cross, to, for him to prevent Jesus from bringing about salvation. We referenced Herod trying to kill all the babies when Jesus was born, right? Mm-hmm. Well, where did that come from? It was Satan trying to get rid of Jesus before he could ever grow up to be the the, the Messiah, right? And so Satan was saying, Jesus is tired. He's asleep in the ship. The disciples are overconfident. So here's my chance. I'll just allow the boat to sink because them being as proud as they are, aren't going to seek him for help. He's going to continue sleeping and he's going to go to the bottom of the sea and he's going to be drowned and I'm going to win. 
Can I just say Satan's stupid? <laughs> he is. And so anyway, while this is raging around them, and he thinks that he's able to overthrow them, the disciples let it go too long. And their faces are on the storm rather than on Jesus. And I can imagine as they're toiling desperately that occasionally they're casting glances back at Jesus. They see him back there asleep on his pillow and they start in their minds and in their hearts beginning to be a little bit bitter toward him, a little resentful toward him, saying, does he not realize what we're going through? Does he not care that we're here working so hard? We're here about to drown. We're getting cast about and he's just sleeping. Just look at him there. And so they have all these things going through their head. And they're thinking that he's unconcerned and unaware of all that they are going through. And so that resentment starts to build. And so the fear calls them to forget what Jesus was actually like. They have lost sight of his character. They have lost sight of his love for them, of his compassion. They have lost sight of his power, of his abilities. And instead, they're saying, look at him there. He doesn't even realize what I'm going through. And finally, they kind of almost exploded at him. They wake him up and they say, do you not even care if we die? It's kind of bold, isn't it? You ever been there? Going through things, going through storms in your life, going through difficulties, and Satan starts working up those thoughts in your mind. You start thinking, God doesn't even realize I'm here. He doesn't even care about my situation. He's not even concerned about this. He seems to be busy and couldn't care less what I'm going through. God, do you not care about my situation? Do you not care what I'm going through? Of course he does. And so we allow that bitterness and that resentment to come up inside of us. We become accusatory toward him. And as I said, of course Jesus cared. And he knew all along what was going to happen. And he even knew all along that they were going to respond this way. And they were never in any danger from the beginning because they were in his hands. In our lives, we struggle in the storms, in the difficulties, in the circumstances. And they start getting heavy on us. We feel as if we're taking on water, we're about to go down. We start thinking in our hearts and in our minds that God is not even aware of the situation we're in. God is unconcerned about the things that we're going through. God is not going to help. God is, for all we know, he's sleeping somewhere on a pillow, right? And so in indignation, whether you've ever actually cried this out in prayer or not, your heart is saying, do you not care about me, God? It can be that we have family problems, financial issues, health issues. We could have strained relationships. We could have hurts and confusion. You fill in the blank of what you go through. You fill in the blank of your storm, but we're going through this and we become afraid because we have reached the end of our abilities. We have come to the end of what we know to do and we've done all that we can so we say to God, we followed you here. We were trying to do your will. We were desiring to please you. Do you not care about me? But all along he was with us. He foresaw the storm. And he's going to bring you through the storm. 
And He's going to make you better because of it if you'll only call out to Him and remain faithful even in the storm. Fourth thing that we're going to bring out of this is there was a display of God's power. There was a display of God's power. When they called out to Him, though it was in fear and desperation, you say, well, my faith is struggling. My faith is... Where was their faith? But their prayer was still answered, wasn't it? When they called out to him, even in fear and desperation, he still responded. He wasn't offended by their humanity. That's something I find very comforting. He didn't come to him and say, do you not know by now I'm going to take care of you? How dare you treat me like this? I'll just let you drown. See ya. Isn't that what we would have done? He's not offended by our humanity. He spoke a rebuke to that satanic wind that was blowing and stirring up the sea. He commanded the waves, peace, be still. And immediately there was a great calm. And the disciples were no longer afraid of the sea. They were now afraid of Jesus. Because what did they realize? They said, what manner of man is this that even the sea and the storms obey him? They said, Jesus is not merely a man. They are realizing that he was God in flesh. They're saying we're standing in the presence of God. They're saying that there is no storm, no sea, nothing that we can ever go through, nothing that is ever going to even come close to comparing to him, to his power, to his abilities. They just saw the biggest storm that they had ever been in. They were in the most danger, so they thought that they'd ever been in. And Jesus was able to speak and... And they said, hold on for a minute. We have grossly underestimated this guy. Right? And so they saw that he was far more powerful than any sea or storm. Creation has to obey when he speaks. How big is God in your sight? How big do you perceive him to be? Oftentimes he's not as big as our storms. Oftentimes our circumstances have dwarfed him. Not actually, but in our estimation, right? We become afraid of all these other things, not realizing that the God of all creation is with us and for us. And the Bible says if God be for us, who can be against us? And yet we forget that. That God knows what we need. He knows what we're going through. He knows the storms that we're in. And He is perfectly capable of calming the storm. But sometimes He calms us in the storm. Exactly right. It's not always His will to take us out, but He will always take us through if we will continually trust Him yeah. and follow Him. Allow Him to do what only He can do. If we're wise, we're going to take notice of how God has worked in our lives. We can look back and we can see many storms that we've already been through and where we are today is a result of what he has brought us through in the past. And I think it's very good and very healthy for us to mark in our lives the victories that he has given us, the times that we have overcome through him because I can look back and say, if God brought me through that, he'll bring me through this. I have seen his power displayed here, and so this will be no problem. He will take me through this as well. This goes back to what we were talking about with Peter as he was imprisoned to the centurions and all that. He's like, I've already seen God demonstrate his power enough times that I'm not afraid of these centurions. 
I'm not afraid of Herod up there. He's a people pleaser anyway. I'm just going to please God and allow God to do whatever he will in this circumstance because God can be trusted. God is more than capable of taking care of me. And so the things that the enemy engineered to destroy us, God can take those and use them together for our good. And so as we look back over our lives, what are things that God has, and I'm, not, I'm saying this is a rhetorical question, you don't have to answer it. But think in your mind, what are things that God has brought you through? What are things that you can go back to? We find that God in, in with the nation of Israel, he would have them to erect monuments. Okay, there's one song that we sing, Here I Raise Mine Ebenezer. There was a monument that they built, Ebenezer was the name of it, and it was a testimony of a victory that God had given them. It was a reminder to them generation after generation of what God had brought them through so that their children and their grandchildren and those that would follow could look back and say, remember what God did for them, and so I can still trust Him now? It's good for us to remember the power of God demonstrated in our lives and in the lives of others because it's going to help us to weather these storms. And so the last thing that I want to bring from this passage kind of plays into this is that how we go through the storms has a direct impact on others. We often focus on the boat that Jesus was on, right? Yes. The boat that he and his disciples was on. But Mark mentions specifically in this one verse, in verse 36, And when they had sent away the multitude, they took him, even as he was into the ship, and there were also with him other little ships. There were other little ships that didn't have Jesus with them. And so that's kind of amazing to me that, that Mark brings that out. If it was bad to be on the big boat with Jesus, how much worse would it be to be on the little boats without him? And so these little boats were struggling in the waves. They were going through this storm, but they had their eyes fixed, their focus on this boat that had Jesus. They'd been following him around, right? They were waiting to see what Jesus was going to do in this. And so I believe in our lives there are a lot of little boats around us that are going to be impacted by how we weather the storm with the Savior. Our kids are learning how to or how not to weather the storm by our examples. They're looking to us, and we should be showing them how we're going through the storms by trusting in Jesus. But too often we are floundering, we are failing, we are having trouble and struggling. There's little ships that are depending on us yes. to get through the storms. Not only that, there's friends and neighbors and people we don't even know that are watching us go through the storms in our lives. And how we go through the storms is going to tell them a lot about our Jesus. And then on top of that, there's others who are going to go through some of the same storms that we've been through. And we're able to help guide them through. We're talking in Sunday school in our, our review about how we're interconnected and we're helping one another, right? Some of the things that God has brought you through, He may have brought you through so that you can guide others through as well. It's amazing how He gives you unique experiences that are going to enable you to minister to others. There are other little ships around us. And so we need to be mindful of the little boats. And we need to be glad that we have Jesus in our boat. And so just in closing, a few final thoughts. Storms will come, even whenever you're right in the middle of God's will. 
Don't let them catch you by surprise. God doesn't want you to prove yourself in the storm. He wants you to prove Him in the storm. Fear does away with faith, but faith does away with fear. As Victor said in the first service, they can't coexist. Faith and fear does not coexist. If you allow fear to take over, if you look at your circumstances, that will drive away your faith. But if you get your eyes on the Lord, and if your faith is in Him, the fears will vanish away. Trust God in the storm, and He will either calm the storm, or He will calm you in it. Come here, distraction. He will either calm you in the storm, or He will calm it for you, but either way, He will take you through it. Anyway, I'm being upstaged. And the last thing that we looked at is how you go through the storms can have an impact on others. So you need to let God lead you through the storm. Right. And I'll say, I am certainly glad that Jesus is in my boat, or rather, I'm glad he's in that I'm in his boat. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Is that a better way to put it? I'm glad I'm in his boat. And so I want to say, if you're a believer, if you're a Christian in here today, don't forget that with Jesus in your storm, He will lead you through it. He will take you through it. Put your eyes on Him and not on the storm. Remember past storms? He, gave, he brought you through those. He'll bring you through the next ones. He's got a purpose for every one of them. And if you're in here today and you don't know Jesus as your Savior, you don't know what you're missing not having Him in your boat. If there's never been a time in your life that you have seen yourself as a sinner in need of a Savior and put your faith and trust in Him alone to forgive your sins and to save your soul, Today can be that day. It's just as simple as turning away from trusting your works, your abilities, your religion, saying, I can't do it, but he can. Lord, forgive my sins. Save my soul. He'll do it today. That is a decision that you must make. So with that being said, if the Lord's dealt with you with anything today, if maybe you're going through a storm, maybe you've struggled in past storms, whatever, as we close in prayer, go to the Lord and talk to Him about it. If you're in here today and you are not saved, that you have never put your faith and trust in Him, as we close in prayer, be a good time to call out to Him. Put your faith and trust in Him alone. And He will forgive your sins. He'll save your soul. And He'll be in your boat. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Lord, we come to you today. Thank you for your many blessings. We thank you so much for all of the instances that we see in Scripture of how you just desire for us to follow you, allow you to be in charge, allow you to be God, and to take care of us, Lord. I know in our flesh we are so tempted to try to do it ourselves, to do it our own way, to rely on ourselves, Lord, uh, even for salvation. But, Lord, we know that we can do nothing without you, but we can do all things through you, and we just pray, Lord, asking you, Lord, that in every storm that we come through, that we will be uh, confident in you, that our faith will not clobber our fear, but we will continue to serve you in spite of these things and allow you to lead us through it, strengthen us through it, grow us through it, and Lord, that we can become molded and shaped and conformed to your image. We just thank you so much for all that you do. If there's anyone here that don't know you as our Savior, I pray that even today they would uh, turn from trusting self and they would trust in you alone to forgive their sins and save their soul. Thank you for all that you do and all these things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.